here we go. It's Earning Their Stripes on the Fish Stripes podcast channel where we cover Miami Marlins prospects, the old friends who've been around for years, the new guys who just joined the organization last week, and everybody in between, hundreds of guys in between. I'm Eli Sussman, you know me, on Fish Stripes, all of our platforms. We hope you follow us. Uh, all the support is appreciated as we cover the Marlins at all levels of the organization. Joining me on this post-draft, post-trade deadline reaction show, I've got Ethan Badowski of Fish Stripes and All Gators on Sports Illustrated. Congratulations, Ethan, on that news. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. Very excited to continue my Marlins work and also uh, add in the Gators work. So it uh, dream dream come true for sure. So thanks, guys. And we, and we got Spencer Morris of Fish Stripes, the Crawfish Boxes, Diamond Dreams, he knows his stuff, and uh, he's, he's been itching to get back on with us, too, uh, right before he heads up to the game. So thanks for your time here, Spencer, as we go through all this sort of stuff in the Marlins organization. Happy to be here. Perfect three for three on all my sites, too. Very well done. <laughs> on this episode, we will keep the focus on a few big topics. The Marlins 2021 draft class, that is now finally official. We really had to wait that out just to be totally sure exactly what that class was and then their trade deadline acquisitions not quite as busy for the team as we had hoped but still some several intriguing young players that they did acquire from contending teams and then looking forward of course to September um, both of the major league level the guys that we expect to be called up and have high hopes for and also what minor league baseball will look like down the stretch in August and September which of those affiliates we would recommend people watching and really paying attention to so first off the draft, which uh, now took place, what, like three and a half, four weeks ago. And finally, the Marlins, that sent signing deadline passed as expected. It went all the way down to the final day to officially get the deal done with top pick Khalil Watson. He was a, a, a huge piece of that draft class. So you really had to hold out a little bit to render a decision about that class until he officially you know, signed it and got introduced to the public. But now that's official ends up getting $4.54 million on his signing bonus. Um, the first thing for you, Spencer, before we talk about like the class in, in whole is about that number that Watson ends up getting 4.54 million, which it was like the slot value of maybe the number 12 pick number 13, the Marlins ended up picking him at 16. So it's over slot, but not by like a ridiculous amount. Like, is it any easier to understand like why he fell as far as he did when that ends up being the number that Watson gets? It's more confusing to me that he fell because I thought that he would get at least five. Um, I'm really like at this point, I'm really not sure what happened. I am just very pleased that things worked out the way that they did. Like I, I've said it before, I think that dollar for dollar, Watson was the best player. Uh, well, not the best, all maybe maybe not quite the best all around player, but when factoring in the bonus amounts, I think he's who I would have taken number one overall if I knew at that time that I could have him for like around four and a half million, like knowing what kind of flexibility that would have given me later on. I mean, you look at what the pirates were able to do, even just going with Henry Davis, who got more money, like the, what you would have been able to do with Watson at four and a half at the top would have just been ridiculous. So, I mean, it's, it's a great outcome for the Marlins, obviously, but yeah, I'm still, uh, I'm still kind of scratching my head on how he ended up being there at 16. I think Spencer said it really well, which is that, you know, the Marlins, they top kind of top loaded their draft and everybody's saying, well, how are they going to sign these three guys? 
in Watson, Mack, and McCants, and they were able to pull it off. And it was just such impressive work from the Marlins. We've seen them do it in the past with, you know, college bat taking, going heavy on, you know, senior college bats, um, getting them cheap and getting good players, you know, getting good hitters cheap and in order to end up at a point where you are able to sign Watson for the four and a half million dollar deal. I thought it was great work by the Marlins organization in order to do that. Obviously it was a little, you know, they had to sweat it out a little bit. Um, but the truth is that at that pick, you know, they knew they had the leverage that Watson was never going to get $5 million at that pick. And it's such a big risk to go back to school. Obviously it could have gone better for him, but it's not very likely. And it's a good thing that the Marlins, you know, didn't end up like the Mets where the Mets, you know, well, didn't sign Kumar Rocker and now they get the 11th pick in next year's draft. But how much better is that than the 10th pick in this year's draft, especially when it's a guy like Kumar Rocker. So I think the Marlins did a really great job and, you know, we're really, really creative. I mean, to sign 19 or, or it's 20 or 21 of their draft picks or whatever, um, you know, only one guy didn't sign. That's really impressive work considering the circumstances. Yeah, 20 yeah, I mean, out of 21 guys that they signed, plus I think at this point, five undrafted free agents, that number might be ticking up a little bit. And uh, they end up, if you add up like all the numbers going on, the bonuses um, from the draft pool, but also the later round bonuses, because they actually did pay quite a bit for some of these like day three picks. Like a lot of those guys maxed out at 125,000 for them. And then the taxes you roll into that, they spend about $12 million on this entire draft class when you put it all together. So it's, and just a reminder that even though this is a most people regard this as a super efficient way to acquire talent relative to obviously free agency or stuff at the big league level, but still a pretty significant chunk of like the operating of payroll that the organization has uh, this year. Uh, anything else on that, Spencer? Well, I would just throw in there that I mean, I think that um, the Marlins, you know, I they made it to me a little bit of a statement with how they handled the draft and the trade deadline about, you know, uh, their, you know, their commitment to winning and to spending money. I mean, I think to see them spend every dollar that they could on the draft without incurring draft pick penalties, which is not something that every team does generally only a handful of teams actually do that each year. Um, as well as picking up the money on the Marte contract. I mean, like, Obviously, this isn't a big market team. They're not going to go, uh, you know, maybe, maybe sign the biggest free agents on the market. But um, in terms of like doing what they need to do to be a competitive organization, I, I think they demonstrated that, you know, they're, they're willing to do what it takes to do that. And I, I think that was an encouraging sign uh, from like the last month of transactions. I've said the same thing before on streams and across fish stripes is that, you know, it, it seemed like it was kind of going downhill once the Marlins kind of said, okay, we're not going to resign Marte. And I know that that to a lot of people, you know, signaled that they might not be super serious about winning, but everything kind of changed at the draft and at the trade deadline. I, I couldn't agree more with Spencer there where they commit the money to Khalil Watson. They go all in for Khalil Watson. They use every single dollar they have, every penny they have in order to make sure they lock this guy up and a bunch of other good picks as well. They address, you know, at the deadline we've talked about, they addressed um, the catcher position. We know that they're trying to address the center field position. So there, I, I agree with Spencer a lot that this draft and this deadline and some of the players they acquired at this deadline suggest they're starting to move in a new direction, trying to freshen up 
the back end of the squad while also trying to make significant improvements to put together a winning team. Hopefully we get Watson's debut in the minors in the next few days. To this point, about eight or nine of these draft picks have uh, made their debuts in the complex league or even a couple already up at full season Jupiter. I mean, Tanner Allen, who is, I guess you have to say he was the most famous guy that the Marlins drafted as a world college world series champion at Mississippi state. He's already batting lead off for uh, Jupiter. And they also brought up Bennett Hostetler, who was from North Dakota state. If I have that right, who was one of their final picks, but uh, he's joining the full season team too. Uh, most of this class, yeah. um, a lot of college guys, but as, as we mentioned, yeah, so much of the, the capital that they put into this class was at the very top with Watson, with Joe Mack, and with uh, a couple picks down, Jordan McCants. So like those three guys combined uh, take up the vast majority of, of the bonus pool money. But yeah, hopefully most of those guys, if not all those guys, will hopefully be playing some real minor league games as the summer uh, rolls down. And it's we're getting pretty far along in the minor league season, but still it's yep. you'll, you'll learn a lot just from 100 plate appearances from some of these guys if, if you know, fingers crossed, they get up to that number. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's even not unheard of to see, uh, you know, some guys like in their pro debut go right into like working on swing changes and mechanical adjustments, things of that nature. So even if it is a small sample, sometimes it can kind of give you a little bit of a hint of like what a team is thinking with the guy's development. Um, maybe a little, a little bit of preview of what to expect going into 2022. Um, I'd expect that probably a good amount of these pitchers we won't see until next year, just depending on what their college workloads were. But um, yeah, like all the, we'll see um, some, some uh, percentage of them. And then I would assume all the hitters at some point. I'm excited to see these hitters. I'm really excited to see Tanner Allen, uh, you know, SEC player of the year out of Mississippi state fourth round pick, Um, you know, great baseball program there to me. I'm, like why you know how did that guy get so far i i'm not too locked in on the draft but um you know that's a guy that i'm excited to see and like you said eli a lot of these bats are going to be coming up to these levels right away you know it's encouraging when college bats come up to low a you know alan only played three basically warm-up games at the fcl and there's a lot going on at the fcl that's certainly somewhere to keep an eye on but jupiter is it seems like where a lot of these draft picks are going to be you know, to start out. And I think that's an encouraging sign for the Marlins is, you know, time to watch out at these lower levels where these guys journeys are beginning. Uh, definitely a lot left in these last, you know, month, month and a half, two months of this minor league season to see what they, what this uh, draft class has. Well, you hinted at it earlier about not just the draft, but also how it kind of ties in with the trade deadline and what the Marlins did for major trades that they made and they kept us like wanting for that really uh, massive one, like reported blockbusters about them finally getting a really controllable center fielder, or perhaps a catcher that was already established in the big leagues. Um, instead, they end up with these four separate trades and they acquire four guys that I'll consider prospects. Uh, one of them that I guess we'll start off with the biggest name from that is Jesus Lazardo, a South Florida kid who was started his, I guess it wasn't he originally drafted by the nationals organization and then traded yes. to Oakland. Yes, yeah. That's right. But spent, spent most of his pro career in the A's and he debuted with the A's in 2019 parts of three major league seasons with them. And the Marlins bought low on him as, um, as Spencer referenced, they ate all the money that they still owed to Starling Marte. And they ended up getting 
for a rental Starling Marte, they ended up getting this guy that was like consistently one of the best highly regarded minor league pitching prospects for several years going since he entered pro ball. And they finally are, they get an opportunity where he's not a fully untouchable guy anymore. And they swoop in, they plug him into their major league rotation. Uh, we'll start with Ethan on this with Lizardo because we, um, there was initially some confusion as to whether he'd go to AAA or not. He ends up debuting uh, for the Marlins at Lone Depot Park on this past Monday. Two balls and two strikes. And there it is, a changeup, his first strikeout as a Marlin. And he gets Pete Alonso, family and friends here as well, all fired up and for good reason, two away. If he comes anywhere close to his potential, it's an excellent yeah. value. Uh, so just start with that first game and what we learned about him so far from five innings, he ends up getting the win for the Marlins and it seems like he'll be given a shot to stick in the rotation for the foreseeable future. I think it's a great idea for the Marlins to have him up at the major league level because he's going to be able to work with Mel Stottlemyre Jr., who I have expressed that I'm a huge fan of in terms of his ability to develop young pitchers. Uh, we know about the organization's ability to develop the young pitchers, and he'll have plenty of time to work on his changeup, on his pitches, on that kind of stuff at Jupiter in spring training and stuff. But for now, I want to get him with Mel. You know, I think the Marlins want to get him with Mel in order to work on sequencing, working through that. And then command, I think, was the biggest thing that you saw in his first start. He was all over the place at times. But when he was commanding well, I mean, his stuff is discussed. You know, he's got a nasty changeup, good sinker, really good breaking pitches, fastball in the high 90s out of that lefty arm slot. And, you know, the mechanics on the fastball and the changeup, at least, you know, I saw an overlay from pitching Ninja and this might not be the best way to analyze things, but really, really sound from there in terms of, you know, repeatability. So I liked what I saw from uh, Lazardo. Obviously, like I said, the command is going to be the big concern going forward. If his command is on, he's going to be really good. If his command is off, you know, it, it's not going to be great. You saw mixed results it, just inning by inning in that start, where in the first inning, his command was sharp. He was dominant. The second inning, he was all over the place, you know, let up a walk, let up some hits. Um, you know, I think he walked three or four guys in his first start, had five hits or something like that. But I thought he was really solid, um, you know, better than I expected in his first go round. Um, his first start with the organization picks up five Ks, five good innings. Um, there's a lot to work on. You can tell there's a lot to work on. But I said this at the time of the trade that if any organization is going to fix Lazardo, you know, he had a six point something, seven something ERA, I want to say, you know, in the majors this year. If any organization is going to be able to fix this guy and get the most out of him, get him back to that top 10 prospect level, I'm pretty sure he was a top 10 prospect in all of baseball at one point. If he's going to get back to that level and be what a lot of people think he would be, first of all, for two months of Starling Marte, that's an incredible deal. And second of all, the place where he's going to do it is in Miami because of the pitching development, the ability to develop pitching that we've seen. And um, I'm certainly excited, like I said, that he's going to be working with Mel Sawmeyer Jr. for what seems like the rest of the year because the Marlins need innings at the major league level, first of all. And I think it's best for his development to be working with Mel. Yeah, not just, you know, some concerns about his performance at the major league level right before the trade is six, eight, seven ERA. And that was, they did this weird thing in Oakland where 
I mean, Oakland is contending and they brought him back from a minor injury when he was on the IL and they brought him back as a reliever, which is something he had done very little of. And he struggled even more as a reliever than he had as a starter. And now, you know, his role is a lot more defined right now. So that should mm. hopefully help. But with him, yeah, some questions about the commands and, you know, putting his fastball in the right spots in the, in the big leagues, if, even if you throw, it doesn't matter how hard you throw that if you're really missing your spots, like over the middle, you're going to pay for it. And it didn't help that, of course, with Oakland's, their AAA affiliate is out west, and a lot of those ballparks out west are super hitter-friendly. So when you make a mistake, uh, you really pay for it a lot more than you should when you're actually playing at other ballparks that play more neutral with all that stuff. Uh, yeah, anything else to add on Lazardo Spencer, uh, from what you used to think of him, you know, coming up through the minor leagues and what may have gone wrong, you know, before the trade? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I don't want to sound like uh, I'm bragging because I'm wrong constantly, but uh, his, in the past, like when Lizardo was at his peak, I was not like as big of a fan of his as most people were at that time. But I feel like at this point, I, um, I'm more like with the consensus on him now that it's kind of the stock is kind of normalized a little bit. I um, I've never felt like his fastball quite, plays in practice how it does on paper um like the the movement profile isn't like the kind of ideal sort of um life that you're looking for in like modern mlb and i also think that the life on the fastball is maybe diminished a little bit um from where he was like before some of the injuries but um the breaking ball is still as good as it's ever been um which is really really good and I like his changeup, and I think that that's really like where he has a chance to grow and hit another gear in the Marlins organization is with like really dialing in that pitch. Um, and that's something that I expect he'll be able to do. I mean, I think, like you said, the Marlins have really proven um, their worth when it comes to developing pitchers at this point. And I think that um, developing changeups is something that they've done really well in particular. So I think it's uh, a really sensible fit. Um, from that standpoint. And I think that I, um, I do give him like a pretty solid chance of being a long-term starting pitcher. If the, the command gets back to where it has been at its best. Um, historically, we've seen him throw, you know, a good amount of strikes when he's really cooking um, this year, that hasn't been the case. He's been a little out of whack. He's had a couple different absences that I think, you know, you can kind of cut him a little bit of slack on the command for that reason uh, because his routine has been disrupted. Um, so like you guys said, there's stuff like that needs to be improved on, but it's stuff that I do think can be improved on. Um, I don't think, you know, the, I don't think the fastball is quite like maybe what it was, uh, where, what it was seen as when he was coming up the ladder, but I think, you know, it, it plays. And when you have those two really nice secondaries to back it up with, it's, it's a really nice package. Yeah. And the one thing I want to make clear is I'm not trying to be a homer by just saying like, you know, oh, the Marlins can fix this guy. And like the Marlins have a proven track record to the point where I'm willing to stay, you know, put on the line like they can fix this guy. And I think a lot of people around the league recognize their track record of developing starting pitching. So I just, you know, I'm going off of what I've seen from the Marlins in terms of you know, giving Sandy Alcantara a great changeup and Pablo Lopez a great changeup and all these guys that they've done, the work they've done with all these young pitchers. I'm just thinking, like, I, I think he can thrive around some of these guys and with the development that some of, you know, 
that's within the organization. You, you know who they gave a great changeup to? They gave Zach Thompson a great changeup. Yep, he is. Zach, I, I, I was looking at the Trevor stats Richards, because, think about yeah. It. So, so I'm. Uh, this is a side note. I'm putting out my own top prospects list right now, and uh, Zach Thompson. I'm still counting him as a prospect. He's really high up there. He, he is. He is not allowed to hit on his changeup in like a quarter season in the Marlins rotation, and I don't know where that came from. But it just. I love Zach Thompson, man. Yep. Yep. He's <laughs> yeah, a lot he has high. like. He he's throws, amazing. He throws all of my, like, all of the pitches that I view as the most aesthetically pleasing. Um, he's just, yeah, I, I just, I love watching him work. Yeah, he's a lot higher on my list than a lot of people will be comfortable with because it's it's translating to the show right now. Um, so going back to uh, Lazardo, I guess the only people that may have been somewhat uh, unenthused about acquiring him is the fact that he's a pitcher. And we know with this Marlins organization, right. they are in very imbalanced. They did dedicate a lot of that draft to acquiring hitters and bringing more balance to the organization because pitching is already such a strength at almost every level. Um, and Lizardo ends up being, I guess, the, the most valuable player that they get back in the trade deadline. And, and he's not going to help you much on the offensive side, but with all these other players that they did get at the trade deadline, all those are position players. Uh, Alex Jackson from the Braves, Peyton Henry from the Brewers, and Brian De La Cruz from the Astros. We'll start with De La Cruz um, because it's somebody that, Spencer, you're very yep. familiar with in that he was an Astros prospect and you know their system back to front. And so De La Cruz goes over in the Yimmy Garcia trade along with Austin Pruitt. And Austin Pruitt has since been DFA'd. So that just goes to show in case it wasn't already obvious – yeah, in case it wasn't I already. That, I, I think Houston might try to bring Pruitt back. <laughs> yeah, well, it just hammers home that in case it wasn't obvious, De La Cruz was the main target for the Marlins in that deal. He's played in all seven games since yep. he's been brought over. They have put him on the roster immediately and thrown him into the fire. He is their main right fielder now at the major league level, and this is his debut. Uh, he, had, he was at AAA prior to that. Uh, what have you seen so far from De La Cruz at the major league level? And uh, yeah, what are we expecting from him moving forward? Just one thing before you go into this, Spencer Griffin Co9 just hit another home run, by the way. I just got a message on that. Yeah. <laughs> Number 29 from Griffin Co9 leads all of minor league baseball. He's got he's to back it up with one more, get number 30. Nice end of the day on a nice round number. But uh, with De La Cruz, yeah, I mean, not only was he with the Astros, but he'd been in their system for almost eight years. Wow. So I've had, a, I've had a long time to acquaint myself with him. Um, he was a guy who really broke out like in 2019. Um, he has always had really good bat-to-ball skills. I mean, I think that's something that, you know, he's already – displayed to a degree in the major league trial. Um, it's always been a really smooth swing. He's always had great hands at the plate. It just took him a while to start impacting the baseball. Part of that was because um, he wasn't especially strong when he first signed and he, you know, he needed to develop his body. Part of it was also just like kind of developing that last bit of kind of barrel, like bat control, barrel accuracy. Um, but it really seemed to click for him a couple of years ago. Um, he had a great year offensively. And I think, you know, had there been a regular season in 2020, he probably makes it into the major leagues in some capacity last season, probably by, by way of a trade as well, because obviously there, there was no playing time available for him. But I mean, I think that 
he doesn't have like the big sexy tools that you look for in an outfield prospect, but he gives you a little bit of everything. And, um, you know, the hit tool is the most important um, if you have to pick one. And that's probably the strongest part of his game. Um, like I said, it's a, a really smooth, balanced swing. Um, he's able to cover the plate really well. His approach is on the aggressive side, but he's, he'll still work account. He does take a fair enough amount of walks that the OBP isn't like a big concern. Um, the, the defense, he hasn't had a lot of success in center field, but I think that, you know, he's shown you, if you do put him in a corner, he has enough arm for right and the range really plays in either of those spots. So like, is there quite enough power for him to be like an everyday option in right or left field? I think that's an open question. I would lean a little more towards no. I think he's kind of, you know, that's, I think it's sort of like low teens power if I was forced to put a number on it. But, um, you know, there's a chance for the hit tool to really pop and maybe, you know, he's a guy who's hitting, you know, 290, 300 and it, and it just works. I think that's, you know, definitely the, the very optimistic kind of ceiling outcome, but uh, it's in there. Uh, it's a possibility. And I, I'm just happy to see him succeeding because, you know, he's a guy that's grinded for a really long time. And uh, it's always nice to see those guys seize their opportunities when they do come. I'm really impressed with De La Cruz so far. Uh, it seems like he's just can't stop hitting really. Um, not a lot of power flashing yet, but that should come hopefully I think that's kind of what the last thing Marlins fans kind of want to see obviously the kid can hit you know he was putting together a really good year in AAA this year and like Spencer said you know the hit tool is the most important at the end of the day and that's something that the Marlins have learned the hard way kind of with a lot of the prospects that they've acquired where they've gone for athleticism they've gone for power but the hit tool hasn't been the leading tool and a lot of their guys haven't really put it all together because they just haven't hit that well. But De La Cruz is hit first, and I've been really impressed with his defense in right field. Um, and and I think he's been, you know, right now I've seen the reports that, you know, he kind of projects as a fourth outfielder and the Marlins kind of see him as a fourth outfielder. And I don't think that's necessarily bad based on what I've seen before. If he's your fourth outfielder, you're doing pretty well. And it's much better in terms of just, you know, I talked about how the Marlins are kind of trying to improve this back end of their roster. We know about the depth problems they've had where when a guy goes down, it's Brinson and Sierra and Monte and some of these guys that have struggled at the big league level. And, um, you know, in, if you're replacing that with Dela Cruz and then they believe that Austin Jackson could be a second catcher and Peyton Henry, who they acquired in the John Curtis trade, could be a second catcher. If these guys are up here and they're producing better than some of your what you're currently getting, you know, you're improving the back end of the roster and that can go a long way in winning ball games. So I think this is a nice ad for the Marlins, a nice depth ad where, you know, maybe he starts flashing power and maybe he becomes a pretty, you know, good everyday player. But even if he's not, he's a nice piece to have on your team, I think. And based off what I've seen before so far, where he's just hitting every night and working good ABs and putting the bat on the ball, I think that it's a nice ad for the Marlins. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Same thing as what uh, Ethan touched on is that his defense has really surprised me. Um, There was this, right as he was being traded, there was a tweet from Sports Info Solutions. They're the ones that track defensive runs saved at both the majors and also in the minors. The minors stuff is usually not publicly available, but they did mention that like this year in the minors, he had been a negative eight DRS, you know, through half a season at AAA, yeah. which is which is awful. Um, right. I mean, very, very when, when you dig into that, um, you do notice that he was being rotated through left, center, and right yeah. field, all three positions, yeah. kind of like almost randomly. Um in the majors, they've given him a, a pretty clear assignment to be in right field. In this very small sample in right field, you just see a lot of ingredients that you like defensively. His arm strength and his accuracy and his route running. And it's like almost everything. You've seen a little glimpse of it in his play. Um, obviously, this he's sample three. is even smaller than the minor leagues, but it's been a lot more encouraging than you know that first detail would make it sound. He has three defensive run saves runs saved in right field already, which is really impressive for such a small sample size. And, you know, you wanted to talk about young defenders. Um, Look at what's been up with jazz this year, where you think he can be an average to above average to good defender. And, um, you know, he's struggled bouncing around positions. So I think when you have a guy not set in his ways, not set in one spot, it can really affect how they develop at one position. So I think it's been good for the Marlins, you know, when, when they acquired him and I look and I say, okay, major league ready outfielder profiles better in a corner. His Sanchez is going to work his way back. You know, they got to open up a spot for him in right field. And they did that. And so it was pretty clear to me what was going to, what the plan was for the Marlins when that happened, where they were going to move on from Adam Duvall. And not only that, he, De La Cruz was going to be their everyday right fielder for the rest of the year. And um, so far he's showing he can hold there for sure. With, with these other guys that they acquired at the deadline, same situation really for Alex Jackson. He did have a little bit of prior major league experience with the Braves. It did not go well. And as desperate as the Braves have been for catching players, like for most of the season, but their main guy injured, like Jackson barely got a look. And so he ends up going to the Marlins in that Duval trade. And he's been on the roster. He, uh, he made his debut the same day that Luzardo did on Monday. And so he's played a few games since then. Jackson out towards center field. This one is hit pretty well. Nimmo's back at the wall, and he runs out of room. And Alex Jackson has his first Marlins home run. Dead center field. It's a very strange roster construction right now because the Marlins technically have three catchers on the roster in in Jackson, Sandy Leone, and former catcher turned left fielder (laughs) Jorge Alfaro. That's a weird experiment. And so I don't know exactly how long they're going to stick with that because like you really can't send down Alfaro and they can't send down Leon. And it doesn't seem like they want to send down Jackson because he's finally getting real playing time in the majors. So with him, Ethan, like the sample is even mm-hmm. smaller than with Dela Cruz because he hasn't been playing every game, um, but he has had a few interesting moments and he's at even more so than Dela Cruz. He's at like this critical position for the organization yeah. at catcher. They do not have yeah. any idea who's going to be catching games for them 
next year or uh, mm-hmm. in 2023. It's going to be a few years until maybe Joe Mack turns into who we dream he could be. But in the meantime, it's a huge void. And so Jackson, yeah. I guess he's going to get a great chance to fill that void or at least, you know, every opportunity to prove himself. Anybody with a modicum of knowledge of baseball knows that the Marlins have a huge toll at catcher and they really addressed that, you know, need at the deadline going out and getting two catchers. And then Craig Mish is reporting afterwards that they got these two catchers, but they both see, see them both as backup catchers. So now there's a, you know, a possible bigger catcher acquisition coming in the winter, which is something that we need to keep an eye on for the Marlins. So this is, again, that commitment to winning, that commitment to putting a winning product on the field in 2022 is something that we're seeing here. Now with Alex Jackson, power is the name of the game at the plate, doesn't have a really good hit tool at all, doesn't necessarily have, you know, a, an average one necessarily. And, um, you know, power and and strikeout is what we've seen from a lot of Marlins prospects and it's getting a little frustrating but it's hard to find hitting at the catching position it's not an offensive friendly position by any stretch um he was hitting really well in triple a and I think you know he's not going to go three for 50 or whatever it was the rest of his career in the majors um but you know just if they can see him put together some interesting offensive results you know I think uh the one or two games I saw from him. I saw him working deep ABs, you know, went to full counts twice um, from the at-bats I saw. I've been in and out of Marlins games recently. He's just been busy, but, um, you know, I, I've been interested, intrigued by what I've seen. And it's just, <clears throat> again, one of these tryouts that the Marlins are, are giving in the last two months of the season here um, where, you know, he's getting a chance to say, okay, you know, I can be an option for you in 2022. But again, if, you know, this is, I think a back end of the roster move, just improving to the point where, you know, you're not going to Sandy Leone with your second, um, you know, catcher spot. And the frustrating thing is, you know, I want to see Jackson play every day and they're sticking Alfaro in left field because they continue to want to see him every day. But one guy I was really excited about seeing was Brian Miller. And he comes up on the day of the deadline, looks pretty good at the plate. And then, you know, doesn't get a plate appearance after that. And so I'm looking at this and I'm saying it's just it's just frustrating from a Marlins perspective where they have the guy that everybody wants to see that behind the plate for the rest of the season. You know, I don't know how many people what what more you really want to see from Alfaro by all accounts. You know, he's he's gone next year. So it's like, why can't we see some Brian Miller? Why can't we see somebody else? But obviously, Jesus Sanchez is in return to play protocols. So again, another tryout at the back end of the roster here that you're seeing for the Marlins. And, you know, I, I definitely am looking forward to hopefully seeing some good things. Maybe he can start putting it together at the plate a little better than, you know, his first 19 games in the big leagues, which were really, really ugly. There is an interesting range of opinions on Jackson where I saw fan graphs is super high on him. Um, like pretty enthused by the improvements he's made defensively and thinking that he'll get into a little bit, some of that power in games. And he's, he's done that once, you know, he's hit one home run and a pretty yeah. key spot for the Marlins. And he had another extra base hit that had, again, the measurables on it. The exit Vila was pretty great. And uh, almost all of his other appearances outside that have been outs and half of them have been strikeouts. So yeah, to this point in his big league career, he's striking out 40 something percent of the time. So that obviously won't play, uh, but the standard for Marlins catchers is super low. That bar to clear just to like make it on the 2022 roster, even as a backup is a, uh, is not that high for him. Uh, but the one guy from there that we haven't seen in the majors and we probably won't see before the end of the year is Peyton Henry uh, from the Brewers. 
a guy that they get for John Curtis, who I think if you look at it, John Curtis, due to the years of his control that was still remaining, how well he had been pitching, he was someone that I think you could argue had even more trade value than Duvall. And uh, arguably Peyton Henry is a guy that could be, in some people's view, a better prospect than even Alex Jackson could. Uh, he's a guy that we're not, I'm not really familiar at all with Spencer. Uh, he's gone to AAA so far. And so we got a tiny sample of him with Jacksonville. But is there anything that you could tell us about Peyton Henry? And uh, I know the, the offensive profile is a lot different than Jackson. Um, it's different to a degree. I think when you, if you're talking about the raw tools, there's some similarity there. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, there's kind of, there's a few different types of backup catchers out there um, that are pretty common. And I think that Henry kind of fits what I would say is like my favorite one of those types, which is the guy who, um, you know, offensively has big raw power, maybe doesn't necessarily make the most contact, but um, can get to his power and has passable on base skills. Henry has the raw power aspect of that kind of a profile. It just hasn't really manifested in games much to this point. Um, I'm not sure that it will. Um, I think that the Marlins kind of have to be looking at him as like a, a swing adjustment candidate, which I think, you know, fans are probably going to roll their eyes at that, knowing how that's gone with um, a lot of the other players they've acquired the last few years. Um, but I mean, like it's that sort of a profile, like he's, you compare him and Jackson, neither one of them is that great of a receiver. Uh, Jackson has a bigger arm. Uh, Jackson has bigger raw power, more game power, but um, like Jackson's hit tool has just been really shaky for more or less his whole pro career. Um, like when he does make contact, it tends to be really solid contact, but the approach at times can be quite ugly. Um, and as we've mentioned already, like he swings and misses a lot. Um, Henry does as well, but it's not quite as extreme. I think like if you can help him to tap into that raw power, I probably do like him a little bit more than Jackson. Um, Jackson like was my favorite hitter in his entire draft class. And he was like, I was kind of halfway advocating that the Astros take him number one overall instead of Brady Aiken. Um, obviously there was really not a right answer there, but, um, uh, like at this point with Jackson, like I, I no longer have that kind of faith in the hit tool. I, I do think he has a chance to develop into that kind of like, um, power with a low batting average, um, passable receiving good arm strength, kind of second catcher on a roster. Um, but for both of these guys, like there are obstacles that they need to get over to even fill that kind of role for me. Do you look at um, like Mike Zanino as a, as a ceiling kind of, you talk about low contact, high power. Um, offensively. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, you know, you're looking at that with the bat, but I don't see either of those guys ever defending like Zanino. Yeah. Eli Sussman here with Spencer Morris and Ethan Badowski. We want to look forward for this final segment to September. Uh, the Marlins, as we're recording this, they're on a, a nice little jolt, winning three or four from the Mets, but they're 15 games out of it, uh, out of 500, I should say. Um, and so a big motivation for them the rest of the season is finally getting a good look at some of these young players in the big leagues. As we said, 
De La Cruz is already on the big league roster. Luzardo is already on the roster. Alex Jackson, but there's a, there's room for more. You know, there's some other dead weight on this roster. No offense to some of the veteran players that they could, you know, wean out of there in order to bring up some higher priority guys and get them tested in the big leagues. Um, a, a few that are lingering at AAA Jacksonville right now that already have major league experience that we hope will get like longer run. Um, but there's really one guy that sticks out in terms of a potential September major league debut that I think a lot of people are looking forward to a guy that has uh, of all the amazing arms in this organization, he has perhaps the very nastiest pure stuff and he's already performing with it at the higher levels. Uh, that's Edward Cabrera. So Ethan, I'll go to you on that when talking about potentially seeing Edward finally uh, in the big leagues is, is, is that the guy that really sticks out to you that you want to see who's yeah. not already on the roster? And uh, what do you think it's going to take to actually get him called up? Like what is that moment that they're looking for to finally, you know, pull the trigger and get him tested? There's got to be a, just a number of innings at this point that they're trying to get to at AAA. Uh, I think they all know that Eddie can pitch in the big leagues and be successful right now. You know, Kim Ang has said it's basically just a matter of time uh, and patience with Edward Cabrera. He's certainly the guy that I would want to see most. Um, you know, none of the hitters have performed the way we thought they would to the point where, you know, you could see like a J.J. Bleday or a Burdick or somebody like that. They just simply haven't been good enough at double A to warrant that late season call up that, you know, chance um, at the end of the year that a lot of people were hoping they would get. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Eddie is, is the guy, you know, um, I, like Max and Eater, when you look at Meyer and Eater and down in double A, I just don't think they're going to do it. You know, Ang said they would like to see out, they would like them to see out the season in double A. And I just don't see them pulling the trigger. You know, maybe if they were in it and they needed the lights out reliever, you look to Meyer with that fastball slider combination and you say, you know, come up and give us some innings in the bullpen, you know, as we try and make a playoff push. But I just don't see them contributing to the major league roster at that point, at this point that, um, you know, in the year, but Bryson Brigman is another one. I really want to see Joe Dunan. These are rule five eligible guys. You want to get them on the roster so that you don't end up losing them in the rule five draft. And, you know, right now it's harder for Brigman. It was easier when you had BA down and Mickey Rowe hurt and jazz hurt, but right now there's just simply no room for him. And if he's coming up, you don't really want him playing, you know, a bench role, although he can probably provide more than, you know, a panic or birdies down right now. So he could kind of fill that spot or, you know, I don't want to say it because he's been hot, but Isan Diaz, you know, some people might be trying, you know, maybe be falling for that. And I don't know if I've decided if I'm going to fall for it or not yet, but um, you know, he has been hot recently. So it's like, you don't really want to send him right back down. Um, so there's just kind of no room for Brigman, even though I would really love to see him. It's long overdue. He's having such a great year in Jacksonville. And you don't want to let him kind of marinate too long to the point where, you know, maybe he gets cold and then he comes up and he's got nothing left. So um, I, I want to see Dunan and Brigman. But yeah, at the end of the day, the one that we're all going to be waiting for with anticipation, the way that, you know, when Sixto came up last year, we were all so crazy excited about it you know, fans and media and us alike, you know, they, Eddie is the one that will be the ultimate attraction, you know, if he uh, does make it up to the big league. 
I've got one more to add to that list, who I believe is also Wolf Eye eligible, uh, Nick Fortis, the catcher. Um, I like, this is another guy who I think, you know, can fit right into that kind of backup catcher mix with Jackson and Henry. I think he might be a little bit closer to filling that kind of role. Uh, than, well, definitely than Henry, but maybe even Jackson as well. I mean, uh, he was called up to AAA recently and he's been hitting really well there so far. Um, I think if that trend continues, I would be comfortable giving him a little bit of a look in September. Um, like we mentioned with those other guys, I mean, you got to see what you have before you make your 40 man decisions. He's a guy who has had sort of like a, a, a little bit of a breakout this year with the bat. Um, we've seen him integrate some swing changes and he's been able to make contact. It's a bit more meaningful. I mean, it's definitely still pretty fringy power, but it's at least helped him hit for a higher average. And um, his defensive profile is looking uh, at least adequate behind the plate uh, as far as I'm concerned. So I think he fits right into that competition with those other catchers we were talking about. And um, he seems to be pretty close to ready. Um, so at least in a September kind of environment, I think he could do okay. He is that move up to triple a um, it didn't register much with me uh, because they kind of did it in this aftermath of they had other catchers that were, they Chad Wallach who was in DFA limbo. They had another catcher that was traveling with the team and Brian, Brian Navarretto. I thought he was just like a placeholder at AAA, but he's, you know, stuck there as we're recording this on a Thursday, he started at DH for them while they had Peyton Henry catching. So they got both of those catchers in the lineup. They thought enough about his bat to actually have him DH at a triple A game, which is not something that I would have seen coming entering the season. I mean, as you mentioned, he was really red hot earlier this year at double A and then cooled down a little bit. But when you look at some of the peripherals, it's a lot more encouraging than these other Marlins hitters that are striking out at like a crazy rate. So, uh, so I think it, it's a pretty like big statement to actually have him getting his bat in the lineup intentionally for some of these games, instead of just worrying only about him as a catcher, like feeling you have to put him in the lineup just to like serve that role. Uh, I, I just don't know how they're going to juggle all those catchers on the roster right now, unless they like bite the bullet and actually DFA Jorge Alfaro. I recorded a podcast where I actually told them to do that and they're not yeah. going to listen to me. It was just a hypothetical, but I don't know. I mean, like I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't sweat that move very much if it were to happen personally. Yeah. It, it's just really difficult to, uh, to watch him at the plate, even though again, as we're recording this, he has his moments. He did have a big moment in, in this game that the Marlins just yeah. won on, on Thursday, stepping up in a, in a late game situation. And he, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting it's, guy. It's, it's always been the same story with him. Like yeah. he's, he's one of the most talented players in the world, like without exaggeration, but like the, the approach just, it has not gotten one bit better since he was a teenager. It's kind of it's kind of a Javi Baez situation, you know, where you look at it and it's like, you know, for me being a Cubs fan watching the Cubs for so long, you know, I'm like, okay, cut, you know, Javi's going to cut the strikeouts eventually, and it just hasn't really happened. I think they've actually even increased this year, and you know, with Alfaro, you've just been waiting for it to put it all together. He hits the ball as hard as anybody in the league, and he just can't do it. But you know, one, one other guy that we didn't mention that has been up and down that I'd like to get see get, get consistent action, and I think a lot of people are with me here, is Lewin Diaz. Um, you know, it would, be, it would just be great to see him get some um, late-year action to the point where, you know, we, we know 
um, with him because we don't know. And you don't really want to not know, you know, when he opens up, if he opens up as the everyday first baseman, you know, going into opening day next year. So I think the Marlins are going to want to find out about him. And uh, in order to do that, you know, they got to get him some real, like a legitimate look, you know, every day, that kind of thing. So. That's, that's what I thought too. And then they didn't trade Aguilar and didn't even seem that they came close to trading Jesus Aguilar. So I'm, I, yeah, I don't know how they're going to create that playing time unless they get Aguilar to agree to like ride the bench a little bit down the stretch. Uh, that that's going to be an interesting dynamic that, uh, let the see play out. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to cover on here is on the minor leagues, the rest of the year, it's sort of a tricky question, but now you have these draft picks, filing in. And even though we hope for some of these call-ups, I think for the most part, it's only going to be a small number of these prospects that actually get meaningful action down the stretch who aren't already on the roster. There's only so many spots to play with Uh, between all the Marlins minor league levels in Jacksonville, Pensacola, Beloit and Jupiter. um, What's the one that I guess right now that you feel is the most interesting one to follow for whatever reasons that you follow them, whether it's because you, you feel like the best prospects are at one certain level, or is, is there something like particular that that you really enjoy about like following along with those levels? Like it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of factors that go along with that, but I did mention right before recording that I was going to throw it at you. Which of those affiliates do you think if, if people get the chance to see them in person, if people have their MILB TV subscriptions, um, Spencer, which, which of those levels of those full season levels do you think has uh, the most at stake the rest of this season and is like the most compelling to follow along with? Um, well, for the most compelling one for me, I think down the stretch is going to be Jupiter. I mean, part of that is because like I'm a big draft guy and we're going to be seeing a lot of those guys kind of start to pass through there at a minimum. Um, but on top of that, I mean, you've got Yuri Perez, you've got Dax Fulton, you have some yeah. really, really exciting young arms in that rotation. Pretty much, I mean, you, Evan Fitter is now back and pitching in that rotation too. So you pick a night to go to that ballpark, chances are you're going to see an exciting young pitcher. Um, you'll get a chance to see some of these new hitters in the organization. Not all of those guys are necessarily like big time prospects, but even like somebody like Bennett Hostetler for me, I'm interested to see what he does. He's Can you tell like, me, Spencer, what's the, what's up with this guy? I'm out of the loop. Like what he's really I see, interesting, him, I see him all over my, I see him all over my Twitter, Marlon's party, Alex, Matt, they all love this guy. Is it a personality thing? Like what's, what's the deal? With I, him? I mean, like for me, it's the background. Um, you know, he's from Dakota, which is like, you know, players come out of there, but it's, it's a pretty rare thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, I mean, he was a pretty high level, uh, high school football player. Mm-hmm. So he's got that kind of like a sort of athleticism that isn't especially common in baseball. Um, and you know, you look at kind of the pattern that his career followed through college, he was kind of slow to get off the ground and then really, uh, broke out in a big way as an upperclassman. Um, when I see that kind of pattern from a guy who was more focused on a different sport early on, I find it more compelling than if it's just some random senior who had a big year when he was 23 years old in division two. Um, so, I mean, like he is 23, he's very old for a draft prospect. The, odds are not in his favor if you just look at historically players with his kind of demographics 
But I mean, he's got strength, he's got speed, he's got the kind of background you would typically see in a late bloomer. So there's a chance that, like there's a chance mm-hmm. for him to turn into something. And mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about a, a pick at the very end of the draft like that, right? It's a flyer. Yeah, no, I for me, Eli, the one that I'm really looking forward to is is Jupiter for sure, and I have my own reasons in a sec, but um uh Pensacola is the one because I just want to see, you know, that pitching staff is so loaded with McCambly and Meyer and um uh, Nicholas is there now and uh, Eater, of course. And then I want to see if Blade can get it going. You know, it, it seems like he's kind of turned a corner. He struggled the last few nights, but it seems like the mechanics are really waking up for him and the bat is waking up for him. And I just want to see him have a nice finish. His numbers since July are pretty solid. Um, and and really, you know, it, it hasn't been as bad as it looks because he had such a bad May, but it, he's really kind of come out of it a little bit. So I want to see him have a nice finish to the year. Obviously, Griffin Conine hits a fucking, fucking home run every night. You know what I mean? So that's incredible. Um, and then Burdick, you know, can he get hot? I'm a little like, come on, man. Like, I know you're hitting a bunch of home runs, but let's get rolling a little bit, you know? And, and for, so for me, I want to see if those hitters can kind of find a groove at the back end of the season. But with Jupiter, you know, Spencer talked about the draft guys, and I'm definitely excited about, you know, guys like um, Tanner Allen, who I mentioned earlier, Hostetler, um, you know, but maybe Khalil Watson gets there. You know, they promoted in the 18 draft, you know, Scott and Osiris and Banfield, you know, they went up to Greensboro, I remember, pretty quickly. So I think there's a chance that, you know, they might get up to Jupiter, you know, when you talk about Mac and Khalil, just to get a look at them. Um, But the one I'm really interested in is Jose Salas. And so I'm kind of watching the Jupiter area, you know, where yeah. I, I, can we get this guy to Jupiter, you know, on the hammerheads, not just at the FCL because he is torching the FCL right now, um, far above that competition. And this is a guy that I've told people behind the scenes, like, I think this might be the guy for the Marlins, you know, maybe not at the level of Tatis, but the guy where, you look at the stars in this league, what they did to the FCL or, you know, and that level, the Dominican summer league, the complex leagues, whatever, that's what Jose Salas is doing to these leagues right now. He's absolutely dominating the FCL. So I want to see him get a look at Jupiter and then some of the other guys that have been really good, you know, maybe Osiris Johnson gets another look in Jupiter, that kind of stuff. So that's an area, that whole area is what I'm going to be watching because, you know, Khalil's going to start in the FCL and Joe Mack is going to start in the FCL and then some of these other guys, and then they'll make that migration up to Jupiter. So I'm watching that whole area right now, kind of. Yeah. If I had, if I had to choose, I would probably lean towards Pensacola because you did bring up Burdick and Burdick is one that I'm fascinated by him because I know the Marlins are fascinated by him. Like, uh, they, they have been not shy about like mentioning how much they believe in Burdick and reportedly there've been times where they've been asked by other organizations about Burdick's availability and trades. Um, and he is having this really odd season and that, I mean, hitting wise, it kind of has gone as I expected. Like I thought there would be some like limitations to his actual bat to ball skills and that he'd be selling out for a lot of power, but also defensively, he's had to play a lot of center fields because they went into this year planning to have Victor, Victor Mesa as their center fielder. And we kind of know how that went like pretty early on in the season. So by default, Burdick has been like the primary guy in center field for them. And he's someone that like, just to go back to the previous discussion. I think he's a sleeper who could get called up before the end of the year because he is 
a little bit older than these other guys. Um, and because he, I don't think they're really, there's not, there's not that much clay to mold with him. Like, I don't think there's that delusion about making him like the perfect well-rounded player, but he already does some things extremely well. And uh, he's already filled out as much as you can be. So when it comes to some prospects, you know, just waiting for them to put on professional weight, you know, that's not an issue with him. He is, uh, he's pretty close, I think, to what he is ultimately going to be. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's a guy that gets called up late in the year, just because um, they're pretty close to wanting to figure out what they have in him, even though he was only drafted uh, a couple of years ago. So that's, that's a guy I keep my eye on. And of course, with the pitchers as well, um, I don't think we've even mentioned the name Max Meyer at all during this yeah, the show. And um, performance-wise, he's been incredible this year. Uh, there have been some things about his performance that like make me raise an eyebrow just in terms of the fastball velocity not being exactly what I thought it was hyped up to be coming into pro yeah. ball. And um, this, I guess the slider certainly in the, mo- the majority of his starts, it, it has kind of lived up to the billing. And that's kind of why he's been able to prevent runs so well. Like he goes to it in all his key spots. Uh, I think that's the last thing we'll touch on with, with you, Spencer, because sure. I, you, yeah. know, My, you know Meyer kind of back in front and you know that he was selected to the Futures game this year deservedly. You know that his name was brought up in uh, reportedly in discussions about a blockbuster trade at the deadline, according to Craig Mish in the Miami Herald, that apparently, despite how well he's performing, the Marlins aren't necessarily considering him an untouchable. Uh, do you consider him an untouchable? Are you like, uh, what... How do we size um, no, up what he's done this year? Well, I mean, no, but I, I can't think of any pitching prospect I would ever consider untouchable, just mm-hmm. having been burned by enough of them over the years. Um, like, I think when you hear about them floating him in that trade that was reported, I think that you should read that um, more as them thinking highly of Brandon Marsh, uh, which I do as yes. well. Um, then, oh, we need to sell Meyer and like get, get off this ride while we can. I don't think that's the situation. Um, I think that Meyer, on the whole, it's been a rock-solid year for him. Like He hasn't been perfect, certainly, but I mean, uh, nobody really has, uh, other than maybe like Reed Detmers until he got to the major leagues. Um, with Meyer, I think like with the fastball, like you mentioned, I think some consideration has to be given to the fact that this was a, a big step up in workload for him versus uh, like his college career. Like he got, he basically went where he did in the draft off of like, I forget exactly how many starts, but it was only a few. Um, like the, the workload in college was, was pretty limited for somebody who was that high of a draft pick. Um, and he's been able to, you know, take his return in the rotation without missing time. He's had some moments where the command has been a little wobbly, but I think like on the whole, he's on track there. Like there still needs to be improvement, but I still think that he looks like a starting pitcher um, in terms of how he's locating his stuff, like for where he is in his development. I think the biggest thing with him is that like, we need to see him get more comfortable working in uh, more pitches that aren't fastballs and sliders, not because I don't think that he can get hitters out with just fastballs and sliders, because I think he absolutely can. Uh, he has been, and I'm sure he will continue to. It's just that the track record for starting pitchers who throw that many sliders staying healthy is shaky. Um, it's not very good. And I would like to see them try to get that number down a little bit um, before he like fully settles into his big league rotation role. 
um, that's that's definitely still where I see his future. I still like um, when he was drafted. I said, you know, I see him and he can be as good as a number two, and I still feel that way. Um, it's just you know, there's there's another step yes to take with the command, and there's another step yes to take with rounding out his arsenal. But um, I think he's poised to do both of those, and uh, I think it was a very successful year one for him in the organization. And it's not quite done yet. We still do get these last, I guess, we'll see exactly whether he goes the full length of the season or whether he starts getting shut down. You know, that's an unfortunate uh, complication to this season is exactly how long a lot of these pitchers in the organization have been performing great this year. But uh, we could be nearing that point where some of these guys get the reins pulled back with them. So, yeah, the final thought I'll leave the people with is that you should enjoy savor these prospects the rest of the way because some of them will not be in the organization next year we know where this marlins front office thinking is right now where next year will be the year five under this ownership group and uh they know that this year was kind of disappointing at the major league level um one that is better than where we started this rebuild at but they're looking to take that significant step forward. And if they're not going to be making those improvements via free agency, they're going to be making some trades. And some of those trades will involve uh, really notable prospects within the organization. Uh, like This farm system depth is in good shape and especially on the pitching side, but probably not all these guys are going to still be around in 2022. So uh, yeah, enjoy them while you have them, kind of form your opinions on them and that will make it all the more interesting to uh, to analyze exactly where they go which ones you were comfortable you know parting with in order to address the big league team uh it's it's a constant balancing act and uh, after a few years of kind of hoarding a lot of these prospects uh, we're reaching a point where the marlins are going to have to make some of those tough choices about who to keep and who not to so from eli sussman from spencer morris and ethan Badowski, earning their stripes on the fish stripes podcast and uh, we'll be sure to get together uh, again before this season ends and uh, get a better summary of exactly what has gone on in this farm system this year because there's been a lot of layers to it to how the development has gone coming off that lost 2020 season uh, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your pods be sure to follow along for, with everything on fishstripes.com as always go fish and thank you for listening <laughs>